Well, good evening, motherfuckers. That that was inappropriate. It's episode 19. Nick the American, that's that's not the way he wants to greet his wonderful listeners. Um, welcome, Texas Longhorn fans. Super proud of you. What a victory this weekend, but uh, we'll get to that in a second. It's episode 20. We've made it 20 episodes. The fandom is is ridiculous. The, the 39... The faithful 39 listeners that we have are, are absolutely incredible. I appreciate every single one of you. When we get to 50, I'm going to throw a party and everyone's invited. Everyone is invited. Remember, we are on YouTube. You can check us out on YouTube. I don't give a shit if you hit the subscribe button or not. Well, you could. But you don't have to. You might hate it. Anyways, so... We've got a, a super-duper wonderful show, I think, in store for you today. We're going to talk some football, talk a little bit of politics. We're just going to get after it, I think, if that's okay with you. Is it okay with you? All right. So let's touch on college football. College football, baby. Okay. I want to take something back. I talked about what Jaden Milrow from Alabama being this linebacker. I watched him closer. He's not a linebacker, okay? He's a supremely talented athlete, but he definitely struggled in their mega showdown, the, the the big college football game of the weekend, which was Texas versus Alabama. As you recall, Texas damn near got him last year. And then Texas's season kind of spiraled from there after they, they blew the lead and, and Alabama came, came back and won. Well, this year was different. Texas didn't just hold on. They closed the show. They, hey, a football coach, they finished. They finished. And one of the reasons why they finished, one of the reasons why they finished was their quarterback, Quinn Ewers. And on the last episode, in fact, you heard Nick the American say, yeah, I'm not so, I'm not so high on Quinn Ewers. Well, let me walk that back a bit. It's one football game. But it isn't just one football game because is there a better win in college football than to go into Tuscaloosa and beat the Crimson Tide in their own place? Now, one would argue going into Georgia and beating the Bulldogs is probably the top win right now to be had in college football. But but make no mistake, going into Tuscaloosa, beating Nick Saban in the Crimson Tide, like Steve Sarkeesian, the Longhorns, and Quinn Ewers did was absolutely impressive. He looked so good. He looked like an NFL quarterback. He looked everything looked slow to him. He looked poised, complete. Bamba would draw close, and it looked like here they come. And then Ewers would say, "Oh no, you don't. Oh no, you don't." So my hat goes off to. The Texas Longhorns. It looks like you guys are a serious contender. That win should catapult you. That that win right there makes your football team 10% better than they were, than they could ever be. I, it's kind of like in boxing. When, when, a, when a boxer becomes a world champion, he becomes better than he actually is. Just that confidence level. And so that's just a huge win for the Texas Longhorns. They were in need of it. Congratulations to Steve Sarkeesian. We all know about Steve Sarkeesian's road, you know, being at UW, having a serious drinking problem. Although he took a, 
a winless UW team and really resurrected our roster. Got us to, I believe, 8-4. and four. He really couldn't get us over that hump, but he didn't stay long enough. He bolted to SC, good for him, where his drinking continued, was ultimately fired there, went on to become a consultant at Alabama, one of their many, many consultants on the staff, and ultimately he then took a job, uh, the top spot at Texas. And Steve Sarkeesian, what a great story. We all fuck up. We all fall down. Steve Sarkeesian is showing you how you get back up. So good for Steve Sarkeesian. Another little takeaway from the weekend. Watching AM get what smacked by Miami. Is Jimbo Fisher done at AM? Is this Jimbo Fisher's? I mean, AM is going to be like six and six. And they're paying him all sorts of money. Are they going to buy Jimbo Fisher out? Or are they going to ride the Jimbo Fisher train? I'm not sure. But it doesn't look great for the Aggies and Jimbo Fisher. Is he that good of a coach? I know he won a national championship at Florida State. Which means you're a pretty damn great coach. However, Les Miles Miles won a national championship at LSU. And I'm not sure anyone's calling him a great coach. So... We'll see about Jimbo Fisher, but I think uh, you know, the the bells are the you know, the alert bells are sounding, the sirens are going off there in uh, College Station. So, lastly, I, I've just talked about Florida State. Florida State looks to be legit. We saw them pound LSU on what Sunday night? Was it maybe Monday night? I think it was Sunday night um, of the college football kickoff. But uh, Jordan Travis is a quarterback I didn't—I don't believe I talked about last week who looks really good. And there's a slew of quarterbacks I did not talk about last week that are really good. I, I told, The quarterback position in college football, there is so much talent. I love it. I love it. You don't love it when your defense goes out there and you're like, oh, shit, who are we facing? This kid can run. This kid can throw. Very, very talented. They have a coach at Florida State named Mike Norvell who – Looks like he's got the Seminoles back to being the Seminoles. So, there we go. Milrose, no linebacker. He's definitely no linebacker, by the way, folks. I, I, oh, t- Nick, Nick the American exaggerates sometimes, and and when he catches himself doing that, he owes it to you, the listener, to be truthful, to be truthful. Milrose, no linebacker. I don't know what I was looking at. I obviously wasn't watching Bama very close the first week. So, anyways, oh, and by the way, by the way, hey, I'm not a Washington State Cougar fan, but I appreciate the Cougars. I'm from Washington State. I'm from Washington. My wife is a Washington State Cougar, but uh, we talked about the Pac-2, the Pac-2, both Washington State. Washington State had a, a second consecutive year they beat Wisconsin, a ranked Wisconsin team. And then uh, Oregon State keeps winning. These two belong somewhere. It's clear. The Oregon State football program is as good as it's ever been in terms of just its overall healthiness. It is a healthy program. The Cougars got a really good coach in Dickert, Jake Dickert. And they got a really good quarterback in Cam Ward who, who hopefully he can improve this season as the season goes along as, as instead of he regressed. He looked great last year at the beginning. And then uh, Cam Ward regressed. And keep in mind, Cam Ward is from Incarnate Word. He's like, what the fuck did you just say, Nick? Incarnate Word. That's a college. 
I believe that they play in the same uh, division as uh, uh, Coach Prime's Jackson State. We know how Shadour Sanders is doing. Cam Ward's doing damn good, too. Quarterbacks everywhere. Talent is everywhere. So, Oregon State, Washington State, they're headed for a showdown in a couple weeks, I believe. They're both going to be undefeated. They're both going to be in the top 20, maybe. And they're not good enough for anybody to even, you know, you know, take a look at them. So, come on. Somebody pick up the Cougs. Somebody pick up the Beavs. I mean, who doesn't like Beaver, right? I mean, come on. I mean, come on. So, all right. Let's transition to the NFL for a second. Now, I told you guys, there's 5 million prognosticators on TV, on the fucking radio, everywhere. And so, you're not going to hear me just hardcore break down the NFL. But I'll touch on things. Number one on the list, the Denver Broncos, who managed to piss away another close football game against the Raiders. I believe that's seven straight losses now to the Raiders. And by the way, we've lost 15 straight since Mahomes has been the quarterback of the Chiefs. It has been absolute hell to be a Bronco fan since we won the Super Bowl against Carolina back in 2015. Absolute nightmare. Our proud and storied franchise. It feels less proud and less storied every day. So, you know, there, there, there was a Wilson played really good in the first half. He looked as good as he'd looked. He, he never looked like that all last year. So um, his completion percentage was super high. Threw way too many balls out into the, you know, high completion percentage, but out to the flat. Um, and, and they resulted in jack shit. Just second down and nine, second down and 10, second down and 11. But the key moment in the ball game was there's like nine, 10 minutes left in the ball game. The Broncos have a first and goal at, I believe, the six. They're up 13 to 10. If we score a touchdown and go up 10 points, the ESPN you know predictor, percentage probably goes to like 96%. Did we score a touchdown? No, we did not. Wilson, Peyton, we have to fucking score a touchdown in that situation. We kick a field goal, go up 16-10. And I am so done with fans, friends of mine, go, oh, the Bronco defense only gave up 17 all last year. Oh, the Bronco defense is really good, really good. The Bronco defense is good until it has to be. We were up 16-10. Four plays later, we're down 17-16. Just Swiss cheese down the field. We didn't get a three and out all game. The Denver Broncos cannot rush the passer. Getting Frank Clark? Oh, gosh. Nope. Randy Gregory? Nope. Jonathan Cooper? Nope. Nobody could get home. Baron Browning, we need you back. If we can't rush the passer, holy shit. So I give some of the like the secondary a bit of a pass. Sertan played good. Because we got no pressure on Jimmy G and the Raiders. <sighs> so Wilson didn't look great in the second half. He wasn't awful. He completed his passes. He was without his two biggest weapons. Greg Dulcich, the speedy tight end who Wilson throws to a lot. He's a big play guy downfield. He's out with a hamstring. And Jerry Judy... Was close, but he's got a hamstring, too, and he didn't play. So Wilson has his top two weapons out. It's week one. There's a little ray of hope because in the first half, Wilson actually looked like Wilson. He looked good. 
but we put the ball in his hands at day, you know, with five minutes to go, with six minutes to go, and he gave the ball right back. So <sighs> the Lions, the Lions, baby, 21-20 over the Chiefs. I love seeing the Chiefs lose. I love seeing the Chiefs lose in Arrowhead. I love watching the Lions win. Who doesn't? Everybody loves their big badass coach. So good on the Lions. Good on the Lions. I was at football practice. Some of the coaches are checking out the scores. They're all into fantasy football. I've long since retired. I'm arguably the worst fantasy football owner in the history of fantasy football. So the Lions 21-20 over the Chiefs. We're even with the Chiefs, Bronco fans. Woo-hoo-hoo. The Jets. Oh, my goodness. The Jets. Aaron Rodgers is out for the year. This nearly 40-year-old man's got to deal with an Achilles injury. We'll see where the hell it goes. But uh, I I should be really sympathetic for Jets fans. And I am. And I am. But I'm not. And the reason why I'm not is because I'm a Denver Bronco fan. And, you know, sympathy. Yeah. People have sympathy for Bronco fans. Now, Jets fans too. I know how excited and all the buildup and the hard knocks and all of that shit. And then have it have it just kind of flushed out the window in, 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 in four plays. And uh, the Zach Wilson era begins again. Now it was a a great, fun, gutty win. We'll see. You know, we'll see how long they can sustain that. But good on the Jets, sort of. I didn't get to watch the Seahawks because the Broncos were on at the same time. And even though I'm born and raised in Seattle, Washington, I don't watch the Seahawks if the Denver Broncos are on. The Broncos are the priority. The Seahawks shit the bed apparently. I kept flipping back between commercial break and, and my goodness, it was 30-13 to 13 final. No one saw that one coming. But, uh, you know, Sean McVay can coach. He takes a year off, then fires him up, then things go shit and then he fires him up. So Matthew Stafford's healthy for now. They're gonna, they probably will get more healthy with Cooper Cup potentially. But, uh, yeah, they pounded the Seahawks in Seattle. Not many teams go into Seattle and just pound them. So, and... This Seahawks team, a lot of expectations on it, especially how downtrodden the uh, NFC is. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep tabs there. Now, lastly, the football team that I want to talk about is the Dallas Cowboys. How about them Cowboys? What, they won 40 to nothing over the Giants, who started really fast last year. Everybody loves their coach. Danny Dimes had the, the career year for Danny Dimes. And Dallas is just looks looks awesome. Their defense looks good. Their corners look good. I love Michael Pollard. He was better than uh, uh, Zeke for years. For years, all you had to do was watch a Cowboy football game and go, why the fuck are they playing Zeke Elliott so much? This Pollard guy is a, is a stud. He's a dude. The Cowboys look like they're going to be a one or a two seed in the NFC. It looks like they're going to be a top seed. And maybe, maybe Jerry Jones could return to the Super Bowl after a long, long hiatus. A hiatus, he's the GM, right, of the Dallas Cowboys. The drought that the Cowboys have been on, had Jerry, if Jerry Jones was a, just a GM and not the owner of the team, he'd have been fired like seven times. Seven fucking times. But he owns a team, so he's the GM essentially for life. Maybe he's finally worked it out in 2023. What was the last time they've been in the Super Bowl? 
93, 92, 93, something like 90, 90, 90, 93, 94 season. Who knows? Quote me on it. Don't quote me on it. Anyways, now, now we're going to talk high school football. High school football, baby. Here we go. Hazen versus Lindbergh on Friday night. No, excuse me. Thursday night was Thursday night football. And guess what? Coach Nick got his very first win ever. We beat Lindbergh 42 to 20. The wing tee was humming. We played against uh, a quarterback, number four. His last name was Gilbert. Uh, he was absolutely electric, dynamic. He's he's probably the fat he's the fastest kid we'll probably see all season. And we're gonna play Bellevue down the road. I'm not sure anybody's faster than this kid. The Lindbergh scheme wasn't real good. And when you, you line up against a football team who, who aligns right and has a good scheme, a good plan going in, it, it's difficult, even if you have some, some really, really superior athletes. So 42 to 20, and we led 42 to 6. It was a lot of fun. Again, the, the win or lose, you know, we lost last week. The experience was special. <clears throat> we won this week. The experience was even more special. Both of my boys played really, really well. All of my boys played pretty damn well. Although, when you watch film, you know, it's never as, as good as you think it is. And it's never as bad as you. Well, sometimes it's as bad as you think it is. But uh, the boys got to, you know, we, we watched film on Friday. And, you know, kids get grade, graded out by position. And, uh, yeah, some of the grades aren't so, so, so great. You know, some of them aren't even, you know, they're, they're in the D range. But we're on our way up. We're on our way up. We're on our way up. We'll continue to improve. We've got a, a, a huge football game on Friday night at Juanita. Juanita's got a number, another number four, a quarterback who is an absolute exceptional athlete. He, he, he's special. We are going to have to contain him to have a chance in this football game. So... On our way to Juanita on Friday night, it's a big one, boy, boy. I, I, you know, you know, I've only got one nut. I've only got one nut. I would give up my other nut for this victory. That's how bad I want it. So, anyways, I'm not even kidding. I'm not even kidding. So, all right, we've talked football. We've talked football, and we've talked football, and I love football. And it, and it got me to. Th and I, I've told you with regards to the former president, Donnie Trump. I will stop talking about Donald Trump when he no longer threatens our union, threatens our republic. I promise I'll be done talking about him, but he is a threat right now. And it got me thinking, you know, talking all this football, sports. In, in, in politics, the metrics for success are so, they're, they're, you know, they're so construed. You can read them one way. It's half glass full, half glass empty. There's no real hard metrics. You know, if the economy's going good, the president raises his hand and says, it's my economy, it's my economy, even though he's been in office for like six weeks. You know, like, well, didn't the you know predecessor have something to do with that? Or just the overall roller coaster of the economy, how it's up and it's down. You know, you talk to Trump people and... Oh, you know, I don't like the person he is. I don't want to, but, but boy, he's been great for our country. And you're like, well, what's his major piece of legislation that you love? And they look at you with a blank stare. 
you know, he had control of the Republican House and the Senate. His number one campaign promise was to repeal and replace Obamacare. Number two was to build a complete wall. He couldn't repeal Obamacare with control of the Republican Senate and the Republican House, let alone replace it. Now, that goes for Biden, too. Uh, people will say, oh, I, I, I like, or, you know, Biden's too old. I, I, I'm done with him, but uh, I really, I, I think he's been a good president for us. Okay, well, what's his major piece of legislation? What is his data metrics to point to, oh, he's, he's been a really good president? So basically what I'm trying to say is, you, you, you know, you, you can, you know, you can sell it. Oh, we're doing a great job. We, you know, we're doing a, a, you know, a fantastic job. And here's why. And you're like, well, really, did you have anything to do with that? Or is that just part of the ups and downs of the economy, the way things go? So now if Donald Trump, here, here's, here's how hardcore Republicans would turn on Trump. And I think I might've touched on this many episodes ago. But if Trump was the coach of your football team, if Trump was the coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide, you have wins and losses. You're eight and four. You're twelve and zero. You're five and six. You can't hide from that. Your offense is number one ranked in the conference, number two in the country. That's real. Your offense is last in the conference. That's real too. We hold our football coaches in this country to a standard so far above our politicians, it's not even funny. You can't lie as a football coach. They will, You will be fucking fired so fast. Do you guys remember George O'Leary? George O'Leary. He was the head football coach of the Georgia, uh, Georgia Tech. The Yellow Jackets. <clears throat> he took his job, excuse me, at the University of Notre Dame. He got the head football coaching job at Notre Dame. Well, he took the job. He's been introduced. They find out there's a little blip in his resume. He, he, he went to a college, but he didn't graduate. On his resume, it said he graduated. What did Notre Dame do? They fired his ass. They fired his ass. Okay? Real time, right now. Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker, the head coach of Michigan State. 10 years, $95 million. He's in like his third year. He just got caught sexually harassing the sexually harassment co- the sexual harassment coach. Apparently masturbating naked on on phone calls with her. He he's he's done. He's now he's been on put on leave. They're doing an investigation. They're going to be able to get out of his ninety five million dollar contract. And by the way, who the fuck is paying Mel Mel Tucker nine point five million dollars? That that seems like Nick Saban money. Unbelievable. But he's done. He's done. Um, I remember Nick Rick Neuheisel filled out a college basketball bracket, and that was gambling, and it, it, and it ultimately led to his demise. He was out. They don't put up with anything in college football. The board of trustees, the alumni, uh-uh, uh-uh. You fuck up. You lie just a little bit. You sexually harass. You're out. Trump's got like 18 rape allegations against him. He just got nailed with a civil rape suit. He cheats on his wife or wives. Nobody will turn on him. If Coach Trump was the head football coach of Alabama, he would tell you, 
Fake spots, the referees, there was a fake spot. There was no holding, no holding, no collision, no holding. The field goal was good at the end of half. The field goal was very, very good. It was so good. I'm only going to hire the best assistant coaches ever. Only the best. And then he would fire them all. Then they would all tell you how stupid he is. And he would tell you how slow his assistant coaches were. He would take... You, you, you can't lie about your record. Trump would be 8-5 and five and he'd say, it's much better than that. It should have been. We should be 11-1. and one. It's total bullshit. We're going to leave the SEC. We're not being treated fairly. We've got no choice. You can fib and spin and lie as a Republican or a Democrat. And because of our political tribalism, we won't leave parties. We won't do it. It doesn't matter what you do. Because of our political tribalism, we back you up. Well, can't vote for the other people. Can't vote for the other people. Football, our, our, our American football, college pro, it is different, ladies and gentlemen. If you bullshit us, you bullshit the fans, you bullshit your front office, you bullshit anybody, and you're out if you don't win. And there's a real metric. You can't bullshit. We got eight wins. That's it. We have the number one offense. It's real. Or you don't have the number one offense. You have the number eight offense in your conference. That's real too. Look, look, look at the representative from New York, George Santos. The guy that's basically made up a mythical person and then ran for Congress in the state of New York as a Republican. He's literally a myth. He, he's a he's 100% a lie. You have Republicans in the House and, and the Senate that won't talk to him, won't touch him, won't shake his fucking hand. George O'Leary gets canned for a tiny blip on a resume. He went to a college, said he graduated, he didn't. George Santos is a total fucking fabrication. We're okay, you know, we're okay in politics with that. Hell, he'll probably win re-election. College football, he wouldn't last a minute. Trump wouldn't last a minute because you have to tell the truth. You have to be straightforward. And unlike our politics, Democrats, Republicans, we can we, 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 we can fudge the numbers. We can fudge the numbers. There's no fucking fudging in sports. You win or you lose. You either tell the truth or you don't. And if you don't, you are out. That's how we do it in sports. That's how we do it with our football teams. You can be the die-hardest Alabama fan if Trump, and, and the biggest MAGA Republican. And if Trump coached your football team, it wouldn't take you long to say, this guy is full of shit and has to go. Do yourself a favor and, 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 and look, at, look at him as a person. Look at him as the leader of the free world. Not just the, the leader of your football team if he was a coach. Coach Trub, I bet it was Coach Trub. Go be Coach Trub. Be at Coach Prime. All right. Moving on. Moving on. I think we're done with politics for the day. I, yay. I, you, you guys know Nick the American. I, I, I try not to be partisan. I really don't. I really don't. Uh, no Trump. Zero fucking Trump. All right. Urban legend time. I, I, you know, this has been a topic for a podcast for a long time and it actually got brought up with multiple friends over the past, past week. And I think this is an urban, this is an urban legend. This is an urban legend that if you're 
around the country, I'm not sure how aware you are of this urban legend, but if you live in Seattle and you're a Seattle Seahawk fan or a Seattle sports fan, everyone knows about this urban legend. And this urban legend goes something like this. Back in 2012, 2013-ish, 2014, 2013, Russell Wilson was married to not Ciara, Somebody else, well, his, his sweetheart from Wisconsin, okay? And it is, it is common knowledge amongst Seahawk fans that this urban, this urban legend, and it goes like this, Golden Tate, the, receiver, the former Notre Dame standout, wide receiver for the Seahawks and, and, and the Lions, slept with Russell Wilson's wife. That was the reason for their divorce. That was the reason why Golden Tate didn't re-sign with the Seahawks and bolted for the Lions. And so there is, if you ask 100 Seahawk fans, I if you say Golden Tate, everybody laughs and smiles. And I'm not one for conspiracy theories. And it, it got me asking the question, where the fuck did this come from? Where did this come from? Why, why do so many people believe that Golden Tate fucked Russell Wilson's wife? I, I don't know. And so, literally, I, I Googled it this weekend. And come to find out, K.J. Wright, former Seahawks linebacker, he has his own podcast. Not, not nearly as big as mine. Not nearly as big as, oh, a hell of a lot bigger than mine. <clears throat> he has his own podcast. He had Golden Tate on to talk about this. Because this was like Voldemort. No one really would talk about it. If you're in the media, you're not bringing it up in the locker room. You probably get shunned, okay? But on 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 KJ Wright's podcast, he talked with Golden Tate about it, and Golden Tate talked about all the shit he has taken over the years over it, and he expressed his dissatisfaction with Russ that Russ never came out and said anything. Like Russ was supposed to just come out and go, "Hey, Golden Tate's not fucking my wife." Just a weird situation. An urban legend. Did Golden Tate bang Russell Wilson's wife? Do I believe it? No. Should I be? And, and I'm not spreading disinformation. I'm just curious how this conspiracy theory came to life. And then the internet takes off with it. But I, I'm curious. If you're in the East Coast or the South or the Midwest, have you ever heard of this urban legend? Golden Tate banging Russell Wilson's wife. And there, you know, a couple things that are interesting. Golden Tate should have been re-signed by the Seahawks. He was everything the Seahawks, uh, you know, he was mean, aggressive. You know, he was like a defender playing wide receiver. If he caught the football, he was going to beat you up before you tried to tackle him. Golden Tate got sucker punched the night before the Super Bowl against the Denver Broncos in 2013. The Super Bowl that they fucking murdered us on. Percy Harvin, I believe, sucker punches him. People talk about like it was a one punch, it was a knockout, something like that. I've had I've had a friend talk to a Seahawk behind the scenes who was there, right there, and said he got sucker punched by Percy Harvin. Way to go, Percy, dipshit. But so all of these little things kind of let you know, you know, help feed this urban legend. Well, geez, Percy Harvin was just defending his quarterback, Russell Wilson. So, but it was interesting that 
this topic was just covered on the on on KJ Wright's podcast, and Golden Tate has some disdain for Russell Wilson because he didn't come out and squash it. If if, if got put yourself in Russell Wilson's shoes, I mean, does he have to come out and say, "Hey, everybody"? Does he need to say it really? You know, I don't believe Golden Tate's having sex with my wife and my ex-wife. Is that his responsibility? I don't know. I don't know. And I have no idea how this urban legend, this conspiracy theory in, in, in sorts, cultivated. But, again, if you ask Seattle sports fans about Golden Tate, they're going to smile. And they're going to know exactly what you're talking about. Exactly what you're referring to. Interesting stuff. All right. Enough with urban legends. Enough with Russell and, and Golden Tate. Let's talk about my son Brady's thirteenth birthday. You know what? We went to Top Golf. We had he had a sleepover, and then the next day, we, we here's the deal: we we the kids we take them out to dinner for their birthday. Okay, and it's it's hard to get everybody together. So usually it happens on a Sunday night, the day after their birthday, or something like that. Just like the rest of you American families. Now you find time. So we were going to this new Brazilian steakhouse. Okay, or that that was the plan. We love Brazilian steakhouses. Who the hell doesn't? Green right, green light, red light type of shit. Okay? My wife just gets a salad bar. The lobster bisque is usually delicioso. So, but there was a problem this time. 405, our major freeway, it was shut down over the weekend. And we needed to get to Bellevue. This, this just was this was a absolute nightmare. This was really not possible. The all the side streets are backed up. Some place that would normally take you four or five minutes to get to would take you thirty minutes. And so we leveled with Brady and said, "Hey, going south on four hundred five. It's closed. It's just not working." And so the little bastard. My son, I can call him a little bastard if I want to. He saw a commercial for Outback, and he's never been to Outback. Me and his, me and his mother had been to Outback in at least 10, 15 years. Okay? He saw the Blooming Onion. He saw the steaks, and he's like, let's go to Outback. Let's go to Outback. And me and his mother looked at each other and said, you know, shit, we haven't been to Outback in a long time. And I recall... I vividly remember being on a business trip many years ago, like 12, 13, 14 years, 14 years ago. And in my hotel complex, there was a restaurant, an Outback. It was like the only restaurant. And I think I ate at Outback like three days in a row. The food was fine. Steak was good. Drink was stiff. It was good. It was good. I, I, I didn't get the Blooming Onion because it's like 2,600 calories. But I said, hey, let's give the Outback a try. There's one north of, uh, there's, let's see, where we wanted to go was north on 405. There's one in South Center. We can get down there. We can go down through downtown Renton. That's fine. Let's go to the Outback. Okay? Now, I'm here to tell you, no one that listens to this show needs to ever, ever go to the Outback ever again. What an awful fucking meal. 
the meal cost me like 315 bucks, three plus tip. Cause it's not cheap. It's not cheap. You're going to get a ribeye fillet. You know, you're going to get a fillet. My lobster tail. I think it was a crawfish. I think it was a crawfish. I got a, I got a six ounce fillet and I've never seen a fillet. This thing was like a half an inch thick. It looked, it was a sirloin. It was a sirloin, the blooming onion. And we got two of them. We had a coupon and I'm like, guys, don't eat all this. This is like 2,600 calories a piece. Everyone have a couple of bites. My mother-in-law's got a coupon. No, we got to get it. We got to get the free one. We got to get the free one. My recollection of the blooming onion, obviously high in calories, but really good, really good. It was awful. It was awful. My oldest son, Carter, got steakhouse mac and cheese along with his ribeye. He, he took like a half a bite and spit it out. Our food was disgusting. Our server, there, were, there, were, there was no life in her at all. It, it was awful. It was awful. And so there is a reason why Outbacks kind of went away over large parts of the country. And here's the baffling part. I was looking around this restaurant. It was pretty full. It was the outback in South Center was pretty damn full. And I'm like, every single person here is getting fucked. They're getting screwed. Everybody's spending 300 bucks and they're getting nothing. Absolutely nothing. Do me a favor. You can cross outback off your list. If you see a commercial, just disregard it. Fast forward. You don't ever have to go there again. They are going out of business by being in business because all you need to do is go there. And when you walk out, you look at your wife and go, nope, never again, never again. Now, our meal was so bad. My mother-in-law can't help herself. Okay, God bless her soul. What does she do? She calls the Outback the next day and explains to them how bad the meal is. And, and she told us when she came over for dessert that night that she was going to call and say something. And me and my wife are like, why? Why call and say anything? What are they going to do? Give us a $50 gift card so we can go back? We're not going back. No, thanks. But she couldn't help herself. And so she called the manager and talked to the manager. And the manager, because my mother-in-law didn't pay, she needed to talk. They, they needed to talk to the people that paid. And so she wants me and my wife to call the Outback so she can get, maybe we can get gift cards to the Outback. No can do. She said, oh, you can get appetizers and drinks. No, thanks. I never need to walk into the Outback again. We went from the Brazilian steakhouse, 405's closed, and then we got the Outback, which was really the damn toilet. It was absolutely disgusting. Never go back. No one ever needs to go to the Outback ever again. Sorry, Australia. Take your fucking steakhouse and, and take it back to Australia. Disgusting. All right. Sorry, Brady. So I've been flipping my, my, my 13-year-old shit about how he ruined his own birthday by going to the Outback. Thank you, Outback. You wrecked my son's 13th birthday. Okay? We will not make the same mistake twice. What should we talk about now? Now, little, let's get a little bit more serious. Let's stop ragging on the Outback. You know, 
coaching coaching sports as long as I have, just being involved, you know, on a little league board, being in the community. You see, you, you see a lot of kids, and there are some really great kids. But what I want to do is talk about some awful kids. We have kids in our area that are constantly in trouble with the law. I'm telling you, we, we've got a house not far from us that is that is like a halfway house for shithead kids. You know, it is. It's eleven o'clock on a school day, and there's kids hanging out in front of this house. The, the 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 parents are nowhere to be found. It's absolutely awful. And these kids aren't just committing petty crimes. They're not just loitering, breaking glass, loitering on the ground. They're stealing cars. They're racing up, up and down the freeway. They're busting out windows and setting cars on fire. There's guns involved. These and, and these kids are 13, 14, 15, 16. These are habitual offenders. And I've gone out and talked to police about some of these kids. Because you, you say these kids' names and the police, oh yeah, we're well aware, we're well aware. They've got a rap sheet that is so fucking long. Now, some of these kids I know, they're going to kill someone. Either on the freeway when they're racing cars that they've just stolen, or they're going to kill somebody in a drug deal that's gone bad. They're going to kill someone. It's a guarantee. I've talked to the officers about it. They're like, yep, there's nothing we can do. There's, Again, I've talked to police. There's nothing we can do. They're juveniles, and they know this. They know this. And I just shake my head. I get to look at this house, and I see all these damn kids up to absolute no good. So they are going down the wrong path. And some of them, some of them need to be put in jail. I mean locked up. Now, they're juveniles. They know the rules. That's not going to happen. And so it gets me thinking as I see some of these shitheads with these awful fucking do-nothing parents. What can be done about it? And, you know, Nick, Nick the American's always got these brilliant ideas. And one of his brilliant ideas is, could the United States military, could we send these 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old habitual offenders away to the United States military, the United States military for kids, you're going away to a two-year boot camp. We're going to make a man or a woman out of you. Guaranteed. You are not going to kill an innocent citizen in your community because you're a shithead. We're going we're, we're gonna, to we're gonna stop this cycle right now. And I know there's, you know, there, there, there's, there's, there's places for teens. I was looking up one here. I'm looking at it. The Liahona Academy in Utah. I was looking at their daily schedule. It's for kids from 13, for boys from 13 to 17 years old. And this, the daily schedule, I mean, they're, ba they, they're basically up at six and they're doing stuff until nine and then they repeat and rinse and repeat. How they keep these kids on site, I don't know. You're in rural Utah, so I don't know where the fuck you would go. But is there something the United States military could do? Can we grab these awful habitual offenders that are going to kill someone? They are going to be the worst kind of drain on society possible when they turn 18. The, the, the light bulb is not going to switch. Could the United States military grab these kids with parent consent? I'm sure the parents want to get rid of them. And can we throw them through a, boot, a ridiculous boot camp 
and change the course of their lives. Because cops picking them up, letting them go, and second verse, same as the first, just rinse and repeat over and over and over again. And talking to these cops, their hands are in the air. There's nothing we can do. There's absolutely nothing we can do. Well, why don't we send them to the fucking military? That's what we should do. The United States military for teenagers, for troubled youth. There you go. If you don't shape up, hey, there's a three strikes policy before it happens. You've got to commit some serious crimes as a, as, as a, as a youth. But you let them know, hey, you're headed to boot camp, motherfucker, because we've got some awful young kids in our community. And I know other communities have them too. I don't live in Clyde Hill or Medina, okay? I don't live up on the plateau in Issaquah. You know, we live in Renton. We've got extremely rich areas. We've got extremely poor areas and everything in between. And we've got kids with zero guidance, zero parental anything. United States military for dipshit teenagers. Maybe that'll ship them, shape them up. I don't know. All right. You know, I talked about George W. Bush's first pitch last episode. I didn't really tie it into 9-11. And, and this, it's 9-13 as I, as I speak to you right now at this moment. I was watching the History Channel with my family. We were kind of reliving 9-11. Obviously, none of my boys or my daughter was alive. Me and my wife lived it, you know. Talk about talk about a show you're watching the History Channel and all these, you know, people's accounts. They've got their, you know, cameras rolling and, and video footage that hasn't been seen before. And, and you kind of relive that day. You tell the kids, you know, hey, I was I was working for the city of Renton. I was home from college. And uh, I was at Renton High School in an irrigation truck with, with uh, my partner, Dana Appel. And we were listening to the radio. We didn't have fancy cell phones. We were told the White House was hit. The Pentagon was hit. There was, you know, more to come. It was the scariest thing ever. And, and so watching, watching my boys and my daughter watch this, and they were just captivated. Like, oh, my God, this happened in America. This happened in America. And, uh, you know, I brought up during, during George W.'s first pitch last week, you know, how united Yankee Stadium was and the country was after 9-11. We were one. George Bush was, became my president. He became the president of the United States, right, for sure, for everybody. Even though that was the case, it really was galvanized, you know, during 9-11. He, he stood up. What a great leader he was during 9-11. We can argue about what he did post-9-11, but how united we were and, and, and how it takes some sort of catastrophic event to unite the country. But, but make no mistake, when tough times happen to America and to Americans, we step up, regardless of party affiliation, we step up and we band together and we get the job done. That's what we do. I wish I would have brought up a little bit more about 9-11 last episode. I'm doing it two days late. But um, tough times, America shows its mettle. Okay? Whether we agree or disagree with each other. Now, I don't mean to put a damper on 9-11. But my favorite congresswoman, Machine Gun Taylor Green, you know, we talked about her calling for a national divorce. On 9-11... 
she tweets out state that states should consider seceding from the union because she doesn't like Biden's immigration policy. She disagrees with him. And so we should secede from the union. She says this on 9-11. Do you agree with her? Red states should become red states. Blue states should become blue states. Isn't that what... It, you you got to hate Abraham Lincoln if that's your stance. And he's widely regarded. Even Trump calls him... I'm the second best president of all time, possibly. Maybe first, but maybe Abe, maybe Abraham is ahead of me. She's called for a national divorce on 9-11. A day that makes me cry and tear up. It makes me want to hug my neighbor. Makes me want to go out and give blood. It makes me remember how scared I was, how much fear I had. When was the next attack coming? And what can we all do as a country to band together and go kick somebody's ass? Machine Gun Taylor Green, the woman who, who said the Sandy Hook parents were actors, is calling to secede from the union. We may have to secede... If you don't like a policy, honey, it's America. You work to change it. We're the United States of America. Apparently, on 9-11, of all fucking days, Machine Gun Taylor Green wasn't so patriotic. She was a little bit more treasonous. So... Remember where you were during 9-11. Remember how you felt, the fear, the sense of unity, all of that. You were an American. Reject dipshits like Machine Gun Taylor Green, okay? Please. And listen, if Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez would have tweeted out the same thing on 9-11, you can bet your damn ass I'd be ripping her a new asshole. Ladies and gentlemen, we've made it 20 episodes now. 20 doggone episodes. Keep listening. I'll keep producing. Until the next time, America. This is Nick the American. Talk to you later.